0: Welcome back to Growing in Grace. My name is Victor Morrison. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Columbus, Texas, and I'm so glad that you're uh, with us today. I want to talk about riches. You know, usually when I talk about riches, I'm always talking about spiritual riches that are ours in Christ. I love the book of Ephesians. It introduces us to the riches of God's grace. No doubt those riches are the priceless ones. But today, I want to try to address material wealth, and to do so, I want to share with you something that stood out to me in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17, 18, and 19, three verses, but I believe that these three verses really spell out what God would say to those who have material wealth. You know, he uh, actually begins the verses here with saying, as for the rich in this present age, charge them, and then he spells it out. So I got to thinking about uh, my life. I don't know if you're like me, but maybe you would say, I'm not wealthy. I'm not rich. You know, you're talking to someone else here. But I think if we were to look globally, we might have a a different perspective, a different um, perspective. answer to that question. You know, the global median daily income, if you were to take all the peoples across the world, the global median daily income is only $7.50. 56 cents, how much do you make every single day? Isn't that staggering to think about? If you were to sort of stretch it out and say, okay, let's look at a whole year. The average global personal income, counting all the peoples of the world, would come to about $9,733 per year. And I discovered this as well, that 33.8% of the world makes over $10,000. So what that means is most of the world makes less than $10,000 a year. Isn't that surprising? When you think of it that way, perhaps we may be better off than what we realized. God may have been really good and gracious to you. So I want us to think in terms of material wealth, money, and uh, possessions, and those kind of things. Do you know that money, wealth, and possessions are mentioned over 2,300 times in the Bible? Someone actually took the parables of Jesus And uh, they said, out of 39 parables, Jesus spoke about money in 11 out of the 39. I thought, oh, my goodness. And so, you know, nowhere in Scripture is debt viewed in a positive way. It's always viewed in a negative way. And so if we don't watch it, we can really misuse whatever it is, however much it is. It doesn't matter to me how much it is. Am I a good steward with what I have been given in my life? So I want to read these three verses and let these verses spell it out for us, because um, Paul was writing these words to a young pastor named Timothy. And Timothy was a pastor in a city called Ephesus. Ephesus at that time was a wealthy commercial and trading hub. And so a lot was happening around there. And comparatively speaking, the people that he would have been uh, ministering to would have have been considered wealthy. So if that's us, if that's you, then I, I want us to look at these three verses and see how can we be the best steward that we can of the material wealth and possessions that God has entrusted to us. So listen to these words. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy there to do good to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may Take hold of that which is truly life. Wow. I think it really does spell it out for us so clearly that when I was looking at this and thinking it through and sort of meditating on these three verses, the word riches came to my mind. And so I thought, okay, I see a principle that would line up with the R of riches, with the I of riches, the C of riches, and so forth all the way. So I want to give you an acrostic. So if by chance you're where you can take a note or two, then you might want to spell out on the left side of your paper, the word riches, spell it up and down there. And then with the R, why don't we look at verse 17 and learn the first lesson about material wealth. The first lesson is we should rely upon the Lord, not... The material wealth that we have. Why do I say that? I say that because he says in verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, to set their hopes on God not own the riches, not own material things. You see, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 32 and 33, that we really should put him first in life. He said, don't go through your life stressing out over material things. He said, if you do, you're going to be driven by worry. And so he said, the father knows what we need. You know, the founding fathers in America, actually, they knew this. They knew that they should put their ultimate trust in God. So that's why they actually had it uh, printed on the currency. And so it was first printed on the second, (laughs) on the two-cent coin in 1864, In God We Trust, all the way back in 1864. Of course, later it was printed on everything, all the different kinds of currency that we have. But Sometimes, even though it's printed there, it's so easy for us to change it from in God we trust to in goods we trust. And all the while, God's word has been saying through the years, set your hope on God. You see, if we put our hope in riches, then we're going to be divided in what really controls our life. You know, in Matthew chapter six and verse 44, here's what Jesus said about uh, riches and so forth. In Matthew six, not 44, excuse me, 24. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Why is it that God doesn't want us to uh, rely upon our material wealth because it could become the master of our lives. And if it becomes the master of our lives, if it becomes that one great obsession that drives us through life, then you know what? Our heart is going to follow in that direction. And so that's why he's trying to tell us, don't do it because you're gonna hate one and you're gonna love the other. And so I think that God, he wants our heart. He's actually worthy of our hearts. You know, if you were to go back in 1 Timothy to chapter 4 and verse 10, he uses a similar phrase about our hope. He says, for to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So isn't that amazing that he's saying, set your hope on God. He says it again in chapter five, verse five, she who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day, speaking about widows that are widows indeed. But over and over again, the apostle Paul has been inspired by the Holy Spirit to say to this young pastor, Timothy, don't forget to tell your congregation to set their hope on God, not to rely on material wealth. That's the R that would spell riches. Let's go not from the R, but now to the I. Rely upon the Lord is the first principle. The second principle is invest in eternal ventures. You know, verse 19 speaks about the future, and I think it's talking about more than on this earth. It says, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. He's not talking about savings account and retirement accounts. He's talking about heaven. You see, in First John chapter 2, verse 17, we're told that this world and everything in it, it's passing away but there is something that abides forever. What is that? Wouldn't that be good to know what abides forever? Wouldn't that be a, a worthy investment of our life, our energy, even our treasures? Well, 1 John two seventeen says the world's passing away, but the will of God is what abides forever. I like what uh, one Bible commentator named Warren Worsby said. He said, we're not owners. We are stewards. You see, that's why it's so important because over there in Matthew 6, where I was reading from just a minute ago, just a few verses uh, before that passage in verse 19, he says, "'Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth "'where moth and rust destroy "'and where thieves break in and steal, "'but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven.'" where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you see why God wants us to invest in eternal ventures? Because of two things. One is everything on this earth is not eternal. And so there's a permanence principle that God doesn't want you, he doesn't want me, to waste our lives for things that are going to burn up. He also is concerned about what pulls our hearts. So wherever our treasures are, that's where our heart's going to be. And so God's saying, I want your heart to be after me and my kingdom. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26. What is a man profited if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul. Do you see what he's doing? It's like Jesus is taking one of the old-timey scales. Remember those two balancing scales where you have one platform on the left and one platform on the right, and they're all tied together with this uh, central beam that goes across the top of the scales? Well, if you were to put all of the world's wealth on one side, it would weigh it down for sure. I can't even think of a scale that would be that big, but let's say that happened, but then you put one soul, Jesus said, on the opposite side, and you know what he's saying? He's saying that that side of the scale actually in his eyes weighs more than all the world. What is a man profited if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? You know, that's why Jesus came to die on the cross for you, friend, Your soul is so important to him that he says, you're more important to me than all the world's gadgets and all the world's treasures and all the world's money. Well, why don't we move from that second principle of investment in eternal ventures and move down to the C that spells out the word riches. The C stands for character counts. We hear that a lot, don't we? Well, in verse 19, it was written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy long ago when he said, Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. It means genuine living. It means authentic living. The oldest manuscripts let's put it this way. That which is really life, that which is true life. You know, the present life can be so, I don't know what you would say, but kind of showy, can be so uh, surface level and not deep. It's all about appearance sometimes. But I think that God has called every follower of Christ to be about something that is much deeper than all the shallow things of this world. You see, the life which is life indeed, the life which is worth living, that is what character is all about. It's when we learn that there are some things that money can't buy. So I would say, even when you're making money and saving and doing all those good things, make sure that you're also saying, you know what, I don't want these things to take away My character. I want to be a man. I want to be a woman. I want to be a student of integrity. Let's move to the H of riches. The H of riches would spell out humility, humility toward other people. Right off the start, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Do you know why we shouldn't be haughty? There's a very good reason that's given to us in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse seven. 1 Samuel 2, seven says, the Lord makes poor and the Lord makes rich. The Lord brings low and the Lord exalts. You see, if the Lord does it, then why would I be all prideful and haughty and arrogant as though I did it? You know, Luke chapter 12, verses 19 through 21, tells, talks about a foolish farmer. And he said, you know, I think I'll build lots more barns. But what he didn't know was that very night, his soul was going to be required of him. Wow. Do you remember the recession of 2008? I think it speaks to this whole idea of how we don't want to put our trust in riches. Why? Why? because it says they're uncertain, the uncertainty of riches. The recession of 2008, $3 trillion were gone from people's retirement accounts, investments, all within six months. No wonder Proverbs 23 verses 4 and 5 compares wealth to an eagle. And it says wealth can sprout wings and fly away just like an eagle. No wonder God's trying to prevent us from acting like we're really somebody because of what we have, when really the attitude we should have toward other people, I mean all people, should be humility. And we should be saying, oh Lord, I know that I wouldn't have what I have if it were not for your grace and your goodness. Which kind of leads me to the the sixth point or the fifth one, the fifth point, enjoy wealth with gratitude. The E is enjoy wealth with gratitude. Listen to these words that are straight out of the scriptures here, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Do you ever have just a tinge of guilt whenever you go on a vacation, whenever you buy something new? Why do you feel that way? Because I believe that God gives us what we have And sure, he wants us to give to him and to his kingdom, to missions and all different things. But he's also trying to supply what our family needs so that we can enjoy life. You know, Philippians 4.19 says that God supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I would never want to point people that I wanted to encourage to the book of Ecclesiastes, <laughs> because there's a lot of things in there, to be honest, that are just a little hard to swallow. But here's a good one. How about these three verses? Ecclesiastes 2, verses 24 to 26. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God, For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Wow, if I understand what he's saying, he's saying, enjoy life. You're working hard. You're making wealth. So enjoy some of that with your family while you have the time. You know, Ecclesiastes 3, verses 9 through 13 says there's all kinds of seasons that God takes us through in life. So what we need to do is say, why am I trying to save all my money for later when I get older? He said, what gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful In its time, also he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Don't you see, God provided us with what we have. And he would want us to enjoy some of those things. You know, even in Ecclesiastes 5, verses 18 and 20, it just keeps saying this same idea over and over again. Behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him for this is his lot everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toll. This is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. You see, I believe God wants us to give him thanks and to say thank you that I can go on a vacation with my family Thank you that I can buy this, you know, uh, merchandise or this thing that I've been wanting for a while. You've worked hard for those things. And so I don't think God would want us to feel guilty about enjoying them. So I have one last letter and that's the letter S. Let me review from the top one more time. We're spelling out the word riches. The R, rely upon the Lord. The I, invest in eternal ventures. The C, Remember, character counts. The H, humility toward others. The E, enjoy wealth with gratitude. And now finally, the last letter, the last principle of riches would be to share generously. Let's read verse 18. Listen to this one closely. There to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. You see, I'm not just going to work hard just for myself so that I can just keep everything for me and me alone. I'm going to share. You know, in the New Testament, have you ever noticed how many people were generous? For example, in Acts 4, Barnabas. In Acts 9, Dorcas. In Acts 10, Cornelius. In Acts 16, Lydia. In Acts 17, Jason. In Acts 18, Aquila and Priscilla, there are actually several generous people. I believe that when someone becomes a follower of Christ, there's a certain measure of generosity that should characterize them because God has been so kind and so generous to us. So it makes us want to share some from what God has blessed us with. Have you ever heard of a place called Hutchinson, Kansas? Perhaps someone listening is from Hutchinson, Kansas, or maybe you've been there. I didn't know where it was, but apparently there's a restaurant in Hutchinson, Kansas, and there was a waitress who worked there at the time, and her name was Cindy, and she knew this customer he had been in several times, and he always gave a very generous tip, but on one particular day, he gave an incredibly generous tip. She couldn't believe it when He left the tip for his $26 meal, and it came to a total of $10,000 in cash that he left on the table for his waitress and said, this is not only for my meal, this is for you. May God bless you. Can you imagine that waitress? How I wonder what God did whenever she received that. I wonder her reaction whenever she realized, I've never met anyone in my whole entire life that was that generous to share like that. Wow. That's incredible, right? You know, I'll never forget when I came to uh, Columbus, uh, I came from the mission field and there was a man who uh, was here. He served as a deacon. I'm not going to give his name, but I, I love this man dearly still. He no longer lives in Columbus. He's moved away. But He let me borrow his Suburban. And so I I was so thankful because my wife and I that way could each have a car. We had a caravan and he let us use the Suburban. But you know what he did? When I said to him, hey, we've been driving your Suburban now for two months. I need to return it to you. Thank you so much for letting me borrow it. He said, it's a gift. My wife and I have talked. We've prayed. We want you to have that as a second vehicle. That's our gift to you. I couldn't believe that anybody would be that generous. What is it that God has opened to you? Is there some door that you would say, there's somebody I can bless and be kind to, be generous to, or maybe a ministry, perhaps a missionary or something like that. Just remember, we should say, God, I wanna be a good steward of what you, give, you have given to me. So let's pray together and let's ask God for wisdom, for direction in how each of us can be good stewards in handling whatever amount of riches that he's given to us. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, thank you so much for these words in 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. Lord, I feel like that in one small spot right there, there's so much condensed truth about material wealth that I just had to pass it on to others. I think it spells out exactly how you would want us to handle our wealth. So help us, O Lord, as we go through this week, as we go through our summer, as we go through the rest of this year. I pray that we would be good stewards, that we would indeed handle wealth the way that we're instructed in this passage in 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. I thank you that your word is not just what you have said. In the past, your word is living and active, and it is what you are saying to us in the present. And so, Lord, help us to live out your word as we go through the rest of our lives. However much you entrust to us, whether we consider it to be a lot or little or somewhere in between, may we be faithful with what you've given to us. Thank you most of all for the riches of your grace that we receive in Christ. That has really blown us all away. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thanks again for uh, listening to Growing in Grace today. Pray that you are blessed, and I pray that God will guide you as you are a good and faithful servant, a good and faithful steward with what He has given to you in life. God bless.